Hello, welcome back. This is Creative Chit Chat. I'm Ryan McLeod and this week I've got Annie Mars with me. Um, I suppose she's a person of many hats um, and we sort of get into her journey and why her career has sort of led her down this path to have loads of different stuff going on at the same time. Um, and we, we sort of pick it up in her roots in theatre uh, when she was going through art school and then this sort of transition between personal creative practice to facilitating the practice of others. And I think a lot of the stuff she does now is, is much more events-based. Um, one of the big ones being Dundee Design Festival and her being part of all that. And she uses this amazing analogy. Um, she talks about... I ask her sort of where, where her expertise lies. And she talks about driving this crazy bus and getting everyone to jump on the bus and taking them on a journey to that final destination. Um, and it's an amazing way of, of thinking about exactly what she does. And I think it sums it up really beautifully. Um, and yeah, I mean, this episode, I, I don't even think I had to edit it. It just flowed brilliantly. And she's got such a fascinating story. I mean, not least the, the sort of having the world's favourite colour named after you, um, or choosing the world's f- favourite colour, sorry. But yeah, I mean, I, I could sit and tell you all about the episode, but there's no point in that, is there? Um, for anyone who's new, or if you don't already, um, the best way to keep up to date with the podcast is at CCC Dundee on Twitter and on Instagram, and facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash CCC Dundee. Um, yeah, so let's just get into the episode. So this is number 59, and this is with Annie Mars. So I suppose it probably starts actually with, so I went to Duncan Johnson College of Art and Design. Um, Duncan Johnson as we used to call it, not DJ CAD as uh, it's called now. Um, so I I applied to go to art school, but I actually, um, I made two applications. So I applied to go to art school and I applied to go to like normal university to study something mad like um, international relations or something, uh, quite obscure. And I'd kind of decided, so this was straight straight from school, um, and I had I had decided that if I was accepted to art school, that's an opportunity that you don't get twice. So I would just go for it. Um, and got accepted uh, and kind of went for it. Um, and the good thing, I suppose, in some ways, was the fact that DJ CAD was linked to Dundee University. So it kind of felt like I was going to university, maybe for, like, my parents and stuff, who maybe weren't up for the kind of, oh, she's going to art school. You're still going to university. So that actually was quite good. Um, and, yeah, so so came to so came to DJ CAD on general course, fully intended to go into textile design. So... Um, and that kind of comes from a kind of a uh, bit of my world that um, that's all about theatre and all about performance. Um, so I would say like theatre is like totally in my blood. Um, it totally runs in my family. You know, some of my earliest memories are my mum taking me to see the ballet or, you know, like cats or something. Um, yeah, all the classics. Uh, and so for me, I saw uh, textile design as a way to get into costumes and set design and then in the theatre, basically that way. So that was my full intention, that was my plan. Um, and I got to DJ CAD and I realised very quickly that the process of being a designer was actually not what I was about at all. <laughs> so um, the kind of like, the, the sort of, I suppose what was going on then, so that was like 2002. Um, and looking at like, like a brief, like somebody saying, I've got an idea and I want you to do a thing. 
um, and then you having to kind of research that like somebody else's idea um, and then bring in your own inspiration but please them at the same time to kind of create something that sometimes by the time you got to the end stage didn't have very much of what of you left in it um, and so really quickly in general course I was like no way there's no way I'm doing that um, and I said to the guys that did the fine art course I was like so if I did fine art could I still make fabric they're like yeah I was like could I still print on fabric could I use every single facility in this whole university and they're like well yeah and I was like can I dye my own stuff can I, you know like all that kind of thing they're like of course you can you can you know this whole all of these workshops all these facilities are open to you no matter what department you're in um, and so I went into fine art in the second year so you wanted sort of creative freedom totally yep yeah yeah I'm not um, not very good at uh, doing what other people tell me to do um, so and especially when I was a student um, I was just like I had just a million ideas and I wanted to kind of explore them um, and just create things that were sort of like yeah in my own mind um, and there was just there was just no way that I could have stuck with the structure um, that's sort of around being in the design school as opposed to fine art because in fine art you're just like you I, 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 you know you just kind of get on with it like you just sort of you sort of sit there and wait and then something kind of comes to you and then you kind of make it um, and sometimes it's successful and sometimes it's not um, and I spent like my whole my whole my third year with basically like no idea and kind of came up with my final idea like four weeks before a kind of assessment and just worked all the hours that God sends doing this final four weeks and passed and then that was me sorted for my whole fourth year <laughs> so that um and the reason it's part of the reason that I didn't do very much work was because I'd fallen in uh, with the theatre society at Dundee University. So rather than focusing on uh, my degree work, I was making set for uh, Hamlet, Alice in Wonderland, um, uh, for this kind of crazy um, horror story um, show that we did where we were going to like the recycling centre and um, <clears throat> taking like every single book that they had, it was just like loads of shelves of books and loads of chairs and um, my studio at art school was just full of props and things that were coming in and then going down to the Bonner Hall where we do the shows and then back to the recycling centre um, yeah and that kind of thing so uh, yeah so like that kind of like like the like theatre is is probably my it's probably the art form where I kind of come from, if that sort of makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so, uh, so I, and also while I was at university, I met my other half. So he was the president of the Theatre Society. Um, and so that's how we met. And, um, and that was fine. And then, graduate, just skip all that bit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's not interesting. Um, so graduated 2006. Uh, and... Um, at the time, I was like working, like worked in Dundee Science Centre, worked in Dundee Rep. Um, really knew that Dundee was a place that I wanted to live, I wanted to be. Um, so JD, that's my partner, he had a flat um, up on uh, the Hilltown, and he he was staying and living there, and he was doing a masters and stuff. And I desperately wanted to stay, um, but I had nothing. I had no money. I had didn't really have a job, you know. I could have worked at the science centre as a, you know, explainer, which was the term, but it's you know, not really, not really going to make a career out of it. So, um, so yeah. So my mum came and picked me up and took me home to Inverness. Um, so that's where home is, and I spent the summer, um, 
making the announcements in the train station. <laughs> so, you know, bing bong, the 10.52 Inverness, Edinburgh is, you know, calling at that kind of jazz before that was automated, um, which actually was like, it was like 12 hour shifts, like seven till seven, four days a week, or three days a week, and then gave me four days free, which meant I could come back to Dundee in the summer and, you know, hang out. I could go to Edinburgh Festival in August. So actually it was brilliant. Um, and then I landed totally, um, just out of pure luck, uh, I landed kind of two jobs. So I got a part-time job in a community um, setting. So I worked for an organisation called Arts and Merkinch. And they're a um, totally community set up um, organisation that's all about bringing arts and culture to um, a particular part of Inverness. And it's a particularly rough bit of Inverness and um, suffers loads of like multiple deprivation issues and things like that. So they had quite a bit of funding um, and they were looking for a part-time coordinator, basically. And uh, and I think because I kind of like to make just make things happen, um, I just fitted with that role perfectly and absolutely just loved it and because it was part-time I was able to do a whole host of other things so when an opportunity came up and someone was like oh could you like help out with this or could you come and get involved in that because I was only working I think initially it was 16 hours a week um you had that flexibility mm. because I wasn't tied to I wasn't tied to a bar job I wasn't tied to working in a shop um and so I did, um, and I can kind of pinpoint, well, I think I can kind of pinpoint my my sort of journey into this sort of sector. So I would consider myself to be in cultural management. That's kind of the, um, yeah, that's kind of the, the catch-all phrase. And uh, I was asked to come and help out with a, um, an event, and I can't, I can't totally remember um, what it was part of, but it was... Um, it was for a it was for a public art program in Inverness. So Inverness was doing quite a lot of stuff around, um, around sort of public realm work and what should the city centre look like and how do we consult with people to kind of get their kind of feedback and all that sort of thing. Um, and I said I was like, yeah, I'd love to come and help and you know do something arty. Uh, and I spent the whole day um, blowing up helium balloons uh, in the street, acting <laughs> out helium balloons. Um, but I look, but that was the moment at which I met a whole bunch of people and they were like brilliant could you do this could you do that can you come and work with me with the next thing um, so that day and you know I think we got paid for blowing up helium balloons um, but I can I totally see that moment as that pivotal thing and when people say to me how you know how do you you, can't, you don't ever say to anyone oh you should go and work for free because we're in the sector and we're against that but there's a point at which there's something you can give and sometimes that's maybe a little bit of time or helping somebody else out or a bit of advice or something and for me it was blowing up those helium balloons and that was the thing that unlocked like a whole world of kind of mad possibilities so um so then I worked with this public art program which gave me a whole load of kind of experience around like Installing outdoor sculpture, um, working with communities, um, managing budgets, uh, public sector work, everything. Uh, and all at the same time doing this community work um, in Merkinch where we started to, we ran our own building. So we opened up, um, it's called The Bike Shed. Uh, and then, and we still did community shows. So we did drama every week, um, panto, summer shows. Um, yeah, just totally kind of cut my teeth in this mad mad world and like, I mean you talk about this like it just happened it, you yeah. did it it's this it's just like bang 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 like it was the easiest thing in the world mm. like and it just sort of slotted together and it doesn't seem like you were at all phased by it 
at any point or you had any difficulty you just sort of you just made things happen yeah I think I was really lucky um I think I was there was a couple so I think there's a couple of things I think you make your own luck mm-hmm. um a lot of the time so you know yeah. if you, and I think in the world of theatre there isn't very many people in theatre who don't want to be there so it's hard work it's long hours it's um it's physically demanding it's emotionally demanding um if you can't if, if you don't want to be there and you can't stick that, then you probably have left. So for me, it's like, yeah, you get into this kind of habit of just sort of making things happen and making things work. And sometimes they're not very good, um, but they still kind of happen. Um, and I suppose that, yeah, there's an element of that kind of, well, there isn't any other option, so we've just kind of got to make this work. Um, and uh, in a way, I kind of hope my parents don't listen to this. Not that they probably will. Um, but my dad was always quite... Uh, he was always quite challenging when it came to art school. So he would say things to, to me. Um, I don't think he meant it in a kind of like super negative way, but he'd say things like, oh, you're going to university for four years and uh, you're just going to end up with a job Burger King. Uh, you know, so and, and then you kind of think to yourself, oh, my God, what if I've just spent four years of my life and I'm just going to go and get a job like I would have done just coming out of university? So I think, yeah, you kind of, for me... For me, it's just about kind of, yeah, you, you have to make a bit of your own luck. If you commit to something, you kind of have to just go for it. Um, and kind of sometimes you have to make it work. Sometimes there's kind of no option to fail. Um, and there's some stuff I wouldn't do again. You look back and you're like, oh, let's not do that again. Um, and also I was really, I think I was quite lucky in that there's a very little kind of time gap. So like I spent a bit of time, you know, making announcements on the train station. But it was like eight weeks you know, it's just that summer kind of period. So things really did kind of just tick over, like, really quickly. But the downside of that is that, as a result, I no longer make work. So, do you know what I mean? To kind of push that... Um, I don't know, so I suppose to push that kind of, like, professional kind of, like, making things happen mm-hmm. means that you're no longer making yourself. So I don't paint. Do you know what I mean? I very rarely... Um, I have done a fair bit of, you know, a bit of sewing and stuff like that, but I don't make costumes for shows anymore. Like, we don't really, like, we put on our own shows, but it's very, it's very rare that we've written them from scratch, we've designed them, we've presented them, you know. Like, we just, we just don't, we don't do that. Um, And do you still get the same level of fulfilment out of that at the end of it as you would as if you were doing all those things? um, Yeah, I don't know if it's this, I don't know if it's the same. Um, I think it's, uh, so I don't know if the feeling is the same, but I think the qual. No wait, how am I trying to say that? Um, it's not the same, but it doesn't mean that it's any uh, less satisfying. Mm-hmm. That kind of makes sense. So because there's a because com- you get a completely different feeling. I don't know. Do you? well, yeah, you do. So if it's your own work on stage or your own work on the wall or. Um, your own exhibition opening, that feels different to opening the doors of a thing and seeing those people come in to experience someone else's work. The feeling that's different, but it's not any less satisfying. Makes sense. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And do you still have that the desire to create, to get in and get your hands dirty and actually maybe make some costumes and maybe do that stuff? Or has that desire sort of waned over time as you've moved in a different direction? Um, Yeah, that's a really tricky question, actually. Uh, Yeah, I think it manifests itself in different ways. 
Um, so I quite so yeah so like um, in the ha- like in the house so at home. Do you know what I mean? Uh, I think you're kind of in a space and you have con- there's certain things you have control over. Um, so for me that that sort of um, that comes in wanting to redecorate a room or lay down a new carpet or put some shelves up or um, you know kind of go for yeah go for recreating a space that you're in because you've almost got a kind of a control around that environment um, because it's your space. Uh, I don't have a desire. Um, to make work for the appreciation of other people because uh, I think that's a really hard thing <laughs> really 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 hard um, and uh, and I'm often the one on the other end going please me please you know like make this for me and please me um, and I, I think that the yeah being the being the maker is really really difficult so I don't yeah I don't have a um, I don't think I have a desire to do that anymore but then I'll just like go away and I like potter about with something or um I have like so I've done a couple of uh, friends wedding dresses and bits and pieces like that um where you're kind of able to give a lot of emotion to it um, and go on a journey with somebody kind of together um as opposed to sort of creating something and then putting it out in the world and then waiting for everybody else to um to like it I suppose yeah I find it yeah because it's that sort of creative fulfillment having spoken to quite a lot of people now um, some people are, are, are facilitators and that's what they love yeah. and that's what they're driven by and they just want to help other people and make things happen and then other people have that but they also have their own little thing on the side and I, I, but I really love to paint and I want to create and I want to do this but that's that's just my own personal thing yeah. Um, and then yeah because I wonder for me because I'm at the point where I I create, I design um, but going forward maybe I'll start to facilitate more Um and I don't know what the I don't know what the pro- progression is for me. Whether mm. it's do I continue to design or do I start to facilitate? Do I, you look at um, like the sort of classic agency model. You become a creative director. You you get a lot more hands off when you become yeah. more conceptual and you you sort of push people in directions and you you sort of hone work that way. But yeah, I, I have no idea where where it'll go from. Yeah, and I think like um, and I think that's I just think that's totally fascinating because. People have a kind of, I think people have a definition of making, um, which means often producing something like producing a physical product at the end of it. Um, but you you can make um, movements, you can make uh, spaces, you know, that aren't necessarily always physical. Um, you can uh, you can make an, an ethos or a mindset um, that other people uh, maybe follow, um, and. Uh, and I, th- I think those, like, th- yeah, I think those things are still kind of, um, I think those things still come from a similar place. Uh, but one of the things that I really, really, really struggle with is that the headspace between making and facilitating are different. And the skills that you require, sure, there's like crossover and learning, all that kind of stuff. Um, but the actual skills that you require to, like, I don't, I don't know, like, you know, to be the artistic director, to be the, the the leader of a thing, to to have people follow you and believe in your your brand or your messaging or whatever, um, and and to and to become quite hands off from the actual maybe the product and things. I think sometimes it's not that this, it's not that the same person can't do both because I think that person can totally do both, but I think the skills are often different and you lose 
an element of it. And when you go towards that end, I, yeah, I think you, you end up losing a bit of the the tactile kind of touching, the being involved in the actual making. Um, and if you manage to keep hold of both, then I'd, yeah, I want to know how you managed to do that. <laughs> um, so I was going to ask this question later, but I think it's, it's good now. Yeah. Um, where do you feel that your expertise lies? Oh my goodness, that's like the most extreme question. Um, oh man, I don't know. That, that's, that's really a really hard question. Uh, oh, I think it's really hard because... Because um, uh, yeah, you're asking somebody to be quite kind of like confident of themselves. To be like, well, I'm an expert in this or I'm an expert I don't in You don't necessarily have to be an expert to have expertise. Yeah, no, no, yeah, 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 totally. No, that's very true as well. Um, oh, I don't know. I suppose I'd like to think... Hmm. Um, I'd like to think that it's bringing... It's an element of that bringing people together. Um, I'd like to see... I'd like to think that my expertise is in uh, getting people to all kind of jump on a sort of mad bus and all go down a journey together and achieve something together um, and then get off that bus and uh, have learned from it and go off and do other things. And then maybe some other people get on a different bus and then we all go on another journey. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Um, I, I'd like to think that that's... Um, that it's, it's bringing folk together and it's... it's it's that. That's what I'd like to think it is. Um, I think if you ask somebody else, it would be um, order, control, um, thinking through every single problem and seeing the problem that's going to arise on the other side of it <laughs> and planning for those problems constantly. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's a really, yeah. I think it's really, and I think in this sector as well, I just think it's so hard because you're you kind of become a jack of all trades. Um, you have to sort of, I don't know, maybe that is the expertise, being able to turn your hand to something when it presents itself. Um, you know, and I think as well, like that's, uh, especially, it's like especially it kind of comes back to theatre a lot of time, that, you know, in theatre, one minute you're trying to work out, like, how do you best rig this light? And the next minute you're trying to work out how do you best market the show and how did how do you improve the access to your to your venue? How do you you know, there's a whole host of different things. So you have to learn very quickly. You have to take information in, process that information, learn from it and apply it. Um and I think that's that's something in in this sector of cultural management um that I think you have to be really, really good at. Um and uh, and never kind of um uh Oh, I don't know quite like how to phrase this, um, but it's never sort of like poo-pooing someone else's job, like because you kind of never know when that bit's actually becomes really really important. Mm. So you can be a little bit like, oh, like I'm trying to think of a good example, like with Westward, like fire extinguishers. Um, you know, so you can be a little like, oh, this guy said I have to put twenty five fire extinguishers in. Oh, what a nightmare. Oh yeah, but when there's a fire, you're like, hey, thanks for the twenty five fire extinguishers. So I think making sure that you you balance those. Um, uh, balance what's important and listen to people and take feedback on yeah process it and and then action it hopefully it's my area of expertise <laughs> but I don't have a like if someone said to me like what's like uh, like I struggle like I'm struggling now to explain mm. what I do do you know what I mean when someone says to me you know what are you what's your what's your job title you know I'm not um, I'm not a baker I'm not a train driver I'm not a you know um 
captain of a ship. I'm not an air stewardess. I'm, you know, this, you know, um, I'm not a designer. I'm not an artist. Um, I suppose we're all artists deep down. But do you know what I mean? I'm not. I'm not a painter. I'm not a not a printmaker. I'm not a sculptor. I'm not. Um, yeah, I find that definition quite hard. And because what you've talked about so far in your journey is sort of like you've had lots of bits and pieces all over the place and they've sort of just popped up as opportunities and yeah. they've happened, you've jumped on them, you've enjoyed them and then moved on. Um, and you think that has sort of laid the foundation for where you are now in terms of having lots of different things, lots of different hats, lots of different uh, projects going on at the same time? Uh, yeah, totally. And I think it's laid the foundations for... Uh, this particular job that I'm in now, when they were looking for somebody, they were like, well, that's what we're looking for. Because you can jump between loads of different things because they're not looking for one person that can do, like, one kind of role. Um, but, yeah, like, I, I just kind of grabbed, like, so I, so I came back to Dundee because, like, so I was desperate to get back. So I was in Inverness, and I'd been in Inverness for six years, and um, uh, the work we were doing there was, I mean, really tough, tough community stuff. Um, people with really, really bad shit going on. And and that takes a lot out of you. When you're... So I'm not a social worker. There was a one point I thought I might be trained as a social worker. Um, even, like, got the applications and looked at the, the stuff and everything. And then I was like, that's a terrible plan. Um, but they, you know, like, people... I mean, I, we used to have young people who'd phone us, um, phone me at, like, 11 o'clock at night when they'd been thrown out of their house by their parents, going, I don't know who else to go to. Um, because they trusted you, you know, I'm an arts worker, but I, we were trusted in the community, and um, you know, and, I, and I've I've seen myself going around and picking young people up with black bags on the street corner and taking them to the housing office at eleven o'clock at night to try and get them emergency housing. Like I've gone to people, I've gone to people's mental health appointments when they've needed to go to to see a doctor because the only person who they trust to go in with them is is someone like me, um, and that. Uh, that it can be so rewarding so we have some um, young people who have come through with us on a, on a journey they've been part of all the stuff we kind of did in Inverness and they now work for us when we work in Edinburgh um, and uh, and they're living very very successful lives uh, and we're like uber proud of them um, but if you're not if you're not being fed and I think that comes like to everything um, if you're not being fed as a person there's only so much you can give and there's a point at which they're, you're just like there's, no, there's nothing left to give. And I was at that point in Inverness. And I just, I was like, I do not have any more to give to this community. I've given absolutely everything I've got. Um, and I was just like, I need to get back to Dundee because Dundee's where it's at. Um, and my partner was still here. And I was driving up and down the A9 um, constantly. Uh, and yeah, so a job came up at Fife Council. Um, and uh and like again, things falling into place. So they made a couple of mistakes. They didn't advertise it on Creative Scotland's uh, website. So it only was advertised on like the um, public sector portal. So like they had like five applications. Um, they misadvertised it. So they advertised it as a full time post, and but they actually had funding for half for part time, which is quite funny. Um, and yeah, so they made a few things like that. And then I went for the interview. They phoned off me a job, and I said, uh, "You said in the interview it's only part time, but actually you've advertised it as full time." I can't move for a part-time job. Um, and then they said, well, well, we'll just make it, we'll just make it full-time. I was like, oh, okay, thanks. And actually somebody who, again, somebody who remains a very, very, very good friend, um, she said to us, I phoned her and I was like, oh, I don't know what to do. And she says, just, just be patient. 
She's like, if they want you, they'll find the money and they'll offer you the money. Just be patient. And um, and that's something I've t- taken a lot of time. It's like sometimes you just need to kind of stop and just wait for some things to work themselves out. And then once that's happened, you can kind of go on. There's no point in sort of second guessing stuff. Um, and that was brilliant. So I spent three years at Fife as festivals development officer, covering the whole of Fife, getting involved in all the fab cultural festivals um, that were over there. So again, getting everybody to come on the crazy mad bus all together and achieving a collective goal. <laughs> um, so yes, that was brilliant. Made some um, some friends over there that have remained great friends and and supported some amazing festivals uh, as well. It's just a great little bit of the world. Um, but I was living in Dundee and then this job came up and people, friends kept doing that thing. They kept private messaging me going, have you seen this job? That's you. They're looking for you. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, I think about it. I think about it. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it just kept happening. Do you know what I mean? Like diff- you know, different people were like, have you seen this job? Have you seen this job? And, I was like, oh my God. Um, and it was a little bit like, to be honest, it was, it was quite a, quite a big step up in my career so it was like a you know, couple of grades jump in the public sector um, and all that kind of thing and then I just was like I really really want this um, and then I was on holiday when the interview was meant to happen and had to leave Brighton at like 5am um, a car was in Inverness I had to fly into Edinburgh get a train I was just like it was just insane um, and, uh, and yeah but it all worked out so I was fine <laughs> in the end so it's fine uh and I think as well like it's you know it's it's a temporary contract so we're just on a three-year contract it's not a permanent permanent job um but that's the sector we're in and I think as long as you kind of understand that you the very few jobs out there um in the arts in either an organization or the council or um or whatever that are permanent and if you accept that and you kind of know you're going to go from contract to contract um yeah, actually, yeah, you're just back to that thing. Being a wee bit, kind of just accepting it, being patient, doing a good job and hoping that it'll kind of work out. Kind of so what, what's the title of the of the role? Then? So the actual official title is... Um, so I am the project coordinator for Dundee's UNESCO City of Design and Place Partnership Programme. And what does that mean? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's a tough bit. Uh, so it it means two things. So the job the job role is split in half basically. Um, I mean I'm oversimplifying this, um, but that's what's meant to happen. Uh, so place partnerships are a um, Creative Scotland funded initiative, where Creative Scotland gives local authorities or um, organisations similar to local authority. So in this case, Legend Culture Dundee, which is an arm's length. Um, it's not really arm's length. It's a it's an independent charitable organisation which delivers the leisure and arts provision in a city. Um, so these are uh, these cultural trusts are very common in Scotland now. Um, there was a tax loophole, uh, so they put on all like to trust. Um, and uh, anyway, that's an aside. Um, so the place of Scotland, so Create Scotland give place partnerships cash and then it's they're very it's very flexible so it's about you as an area you decide what you want to spend the money on you work with creative scotland to kind of develop that program what you're kind of um uh what you're going to achieve um and that sort of stuff and they're very 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 flexible um they're absolutely brilliant to be honest um i know there's not very many people say that of creative scotland um but my personal experience of place partnerships is uh, is excellent and the, org- the job i did in fife was a place partnership so I've literally came from the same same projects, different area. Um, and the point of our place partnership 
is um, uh, is to further Dundee's cultural strategy. So it came out of, so when Dundee bid to be UK City of Culture 2017, um, obviously didn't get that. Um, the result was our fourth cultural strategy um, and a whole host of things in there. So then the idea is that this cultural strategy kind of underpins everything that we're doing. And that as, lo- as long as we kind of try and achieve and aim for, for those ultimate goals, then, then Dundee will have a strong cultural base to kind of build on. Um, so I think it's a really important part of my job, um, but it's the kind of unsung bit, it's the bit that nobody really kind of sees because the UNESCO stuff is the shiny stuff on the top. Um, and, uh, and I think... And, it, and it's all about making sure that people have access to the arts, like that communities feel connected to what's happening down at the waterfront, um, that we make the most of things like our public art programme, like our, our music programme, um, you know, and that, that we all work better and we're all pulling in the same direction and, you know, the kind of stuff like that. Um, and then, and there are specific aims, so there's specific projects within it that we deliver. Um, and then the other half of the job is uh, delivering, well, it's working with a, a team to deliver um Dundee UNESCO City of Design status. So um, after the UK City of Culture bid um, in for 2017, I have to not get confused between the UK bid and the European one. Um, after that, uh, a small group of people applied to be a UNESCO City of Design. So you had to make an application. And we got that in December 2014. Um, and then uh, University of Dundee seconded a post. So um, so there's a manager and then there's myself half a week. Uh, Andy, who's our desk officer, um, who does half a week. Uh, and then what we do is we pull in um, support, uh, paid for support when we need it. So people like Sean come and run Dundee Design Festival as an independent producer or curator. Um, or we maybe get somebody to come in and help us with like a schools programme or um, yeah, or whatever. Um, to deliver stuff and that's uh, and then there's a whole program of stuff that goes alongside what we should be doing as a UNESCO city of design um, but I think due to the nature of the people who are in post a lot of what we do is event based mm. it's yeah it's kind of the way it is so. and you guys live sort of at the back of the cured hall uh, yes so so we are um, so this is another kind of interesting sort of anomaly so the UNESCO state of design status and the cultural strategy is looked after by a thing called Dundee Partnership and Dundee Partnership's like the strategic um, collective of uh, organisations in the city like everybody from the council and the NHS to um, Legend Culture Dundee and uh, Fire Scotland like it's really it's really random um, and it uh, and the Dundee Partnership sounded like the strategic overview of kind of making Dundee better and they do everything from like health and poverty um, to yeah to culture uh, so it's so it's a Dundee partnership project but it's looked after by Leisure and Culture so Leisure and Culture Dundee host our office and they do our admin and our payroll staff and stuff um, and yeah our office is underneath the Caird Hall um, which is sometimes lovely when there's like a beautiful string quartet playing and uh, when there's like um, some young people practicing drums that's slightly more challenging. <laughs> and that that must be made slightly more challenging by the no headphone policy in the office. <laughs> yeah, that is made more challenging by the no headphone policy. Well, this is I'd never heard of this before. But what like what was the reason? What's the thinking behind having so a no the, headphone yeah, so, um, policy? Uh, so it's, it's Anna Day's fault. Um, she doesn't <laughs> like headphones. Um, no, I, I, do you know what? It's, it's kind of two things. So. 
I think it kind of comes back to that thing, like, we're working in the public sector. Like, we're public sector workers, ultimately. Um, and uh, and things, you know, we are all, we're all there to kind of cover for each other. So the things that are really annoying is when someone's got headphones in and the phone rings and, do you know what I mean, nobody picks the phone up because everyone's got their headphones in, they can't hear the phone ringing. And, you know, somebody downstairs, you know, at reception looking to drop off, I don't know, like a proof for the Dundee Design Month brochure. Um, but you know what I mean? And you're just like, oh, and the phone just rings and rings and rings because nobody's paying attention. Um, and I think, uh, and the only challenge with that is that, like, sometimes, and, and the no headphone policy, it does change if, you know, if you've got, like, totally focus and you want to block everything out because you've got to write a press release or a bit of copy or something. Um, then we kind of do allow it. Uh, and the headphones do come on when Anna Day is not in the office. <laughs> <laughs> Every now and then. Um, but typically it's no headphones. Um, but the really the really interesting thing is, and because you're trying to balance, like, it's that weird world of everybody's kind of doing different jobs, but you're all one team. Um, and, and then we share an office with the finance department of Leisure and Culture. Um, which is really funny because you've got people who are dealing like one one day one of the girls kind of came through and says like if I put the decimal point in the wrong place <laughs> you know that's like could be thousands of pounds out and we're all like shouting about you know <laughs> some random thing that's going on or you know having kind of conversations that you would expect in a sort of in a kind of cultural and creative and arts environment um, but aren't always necessarily very appropriate um, for that as well so uh so i think that's some yeah there's a wee bit of that where the the headphones come in too so <laughs> and i always say if someone's got the headphones and i start talking and i don't look at the person i'm just like blah 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 and then five minutes later I turn around I'm like you haven't heard anything i've said because you got your headphones in <laughs> so like one of the things that you mentioned there was sort of the design festival yeah. um, so I suppose that's been one of the big things that you guys have delivered over the past sort of two years um, and then something new is happening this year yeah. but what's your so as a sort of overarching thing over the last two years um, what have been the best moments mm -hmm. and the worst so there's only one answer to both those questions and that is Dundee Design Festival <laughs> <laughs> no I mean in, in the context of Dundee Design Festival for uh, the best and more worst specifically yeah um uh, yeah so um it, you know what's really what's really kind of interesting is that the design festival was never in our plan okay so um so when we kind of started off i mean there was always an ambition i think for some sort of um design festival to happen and i think a lot of people probably thought that that would happen when the vna opened and that the vna would deliver some sort of design festival um, and which is totally fair enough uh, but I think there was a wee bit of a feeling kind of locally that people weren't wanting to wait and we kind of wanted to make a mark on quite a few design things before the building opened because and I quite often I quite often say this like people people kind of looking at I know I'm going off on a tangent about the V&A but um, people kind of look at the V&A and think uh, wow, Dundee, like you're getting this and, and that's going to solve all your problems. And um, and the V&A is amazing. Like it's, it's, it's beautiful. It's ridiculously massive. Um, it's it's going to have some of the most amazing objects in the whole world inside it. But it's not our whole story. Um, one building is not 
is not what makes up the whole of Dundee. And that goes for McManus, that goes for Verdant Works, that goes for, you know, Discovery. You know, it, it's not, you know, we're, Dundee's not about one person, one organisation. Um, and that's that's what always attracted me back to Dundee. That's always why, why I wanted to be here, because it's it's a collective effort um, as a city. And I think once you get back here, you realise you really quickly, you kind of get absorbed and kind of put into the sort of the group. And everyone's like, come in, do this, do this, do this. And you, 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 you can feel that. And I know that, you know, and some other people might say, you know, it can be quite isolating because everybody knows each other. And that we have to make an effort to make sure that we are welcoming people into the city when they do get here and that we're not being exclusive. Um, but I think with the design festival it was like we were maybe ready so um as an organization we wanted to do something unesco city of design wanted to kind of do something um and that and and that became dundee design festival and and again it's like because i'm such a kind of believer of things sort of all kind of fall into place like um without westward works i don't think dundee design festival would have been as successful um as it was um, without Sean Parkinson ending up back in Dundee um, at the time he did, it wouldn't have been as successful as it was. Um, without that collective drive of a whole host of different people giving up for the first festival so much time and so much money. Um, I mean, second festival also, but first festival, I mean, literally done on a shoestring. Um, everybody just gave so much to that. Uh, yeah, it would, just, it would just never have just would never have kind of happened um and so and so yeah so because it wasn't kind of in our plan like it's always extra so we always try to do everything else we always said we would do plus deliver a massive design festival um which the first year was only like three days we opened on the wednesday night and we did thursday friday saturday um and you look back and you're like oh it must be more than that um and then the second one was only six days um and so, yeah, so best and worst things um, of the design festival. Uh, I think, do you know what I said so, so often? It just comes back to people. So, like, the best thing about design festivals is the people. Um, it's the it's the designers that take part. It's the volunteers that give up their time. Um, it's the vision um, of people like um, Sean. It's the public's enthusiasm. It's the commitment of the funders. Um, it's all of those people kind of going, OK, well, we'll take a chance on this. Like, let's see what happens. Um, and then the pressure of them being able to deliver that, it's quite terrifying, um, in an empty building with no fire exits um, and stuff like that. So worst thing, the building. Best thing and worst thing, the building. Um, uh, and the, the, the worst thing, I don't know, like, it ending it not being there all the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, the worst thing, having to think of it, think about it in a really, having to think about it in a really strategic way so that it, so that it lasts um because we could have so kind of talked about the plans for like for this year um we could have blown every single penny that's left in my budget on a third design festival um we could have put all of our energy every ounce of everything we have um in delivering a third one you know in westward works on a bigger scale and a better scale and and all of that kind of stuff but that's not a sustainable option that is not the best thing to do for the long term, um, for the festival, for the city, for the designers that were involved, for the team that's involved. So taking that really hard look at it and saying, we're not gonna do a Dundee Design Festival as people have become to understand it in 2019 
um, was really, really difficult. Um, easy in some ways because we're like, oh, phew, I don't have to kind of go through that pain. Because um, it was painful. Um, it was very long hours. I mean, Andy and I would open that building at 7am in the morning and not leave until midnight. Um, and you kind of have to... I just think about this. I just think, like, we're... Um, uh, like in this kind of sector, this culture management sector, we're almost like, we're like custodians of a lot of stuff. So the Dundee Design Festival is delivered by the UNESCO City of Design team, but it's in partnership with a whole bunch of people and it might not always be ours. It might be somebody else's. So we're kind of just looking after it and nurturing it um, and taking it in the direction, following that direction that it wants to go in at the moment. Um, and so what we've decided to do is kind of like, um, have like one big massive year which is huge celebration um, on the scale of what we've seen like last year and then the following year a much more reflective kind of quiet event um, which responds to the themes of the previous festival but also responds to maybe some of the kind of issues that's been going around Dundee or some of the other things that are happening maybe across Scotland either in the design sector or maybe in other sectors where design can make a difference. So for us in 2018, um, we really wanted to reflect on the kind of uh, on the theme, the factory floor theme from the previous year, on the residency programme where we'd had our three, three designers and three factories working together. Um, and one of the kind of um, issues in the city that keeps coming up is around uh, Reform Street as a physical location. Um, and also, uh, what what is a city centre now? What, what, um, what do people use as a space? What's... And what is the future of these kind of public areas? And especially for Dundee, when the V&A opens, what will happen to the city centre? How will people change um, the way they move around the city centre? Um, how will it change in the increase in the amount of people that come here? You know, all that kind of stuff. So we want to reflect on some of that thinking and have a much more sort of um, almost kind of like philosophical sort of festival where we kind of think a lot about stuff. Um, I'm a big, a really big believer in taking time to think. Um, in taking time to let stuff churn in your subconscious. Um, again, just back to having patience, trying not to make quick, rash decisions, um, work, you know, finding that kind of way that things often kind of work their way out. Um, and, uh, and so a lot of that will probably reflect in, in what we're doing uh, for 2018. Um, and so we've taken a shop in Reform Street, as you do. Um, and... Uh, It'll be open for about 10 days because we seem to have been doubling the days the festival's been on, so <laughs> let's just double it again um, and go to 10. And uh, uh, it will it'll have a small exhibition in it um, of the three designers and the work they've created with the factory. Um, and it will also have um, a workshop programme. I think one of our learnings from the previous two festivals is that people want to come and make, they want to come and do, they want to be involved Um so we'll have a workshop programme running that time. Um, and uh, DJ CAD and Mozilla Foundation are going to do some really interesting uh, work around um, data, listening devices, um, the you know, things that, um, you know, are yeah, listening to what you want to do. And then I'm kind of hoping like it's going to become like Minority Report, you know, when you're walking <laughs> down the street and then they're like, you want this product? <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, I do you want that product? Thanks. Um, but I like don't without, know if I want that. yeah, I'm no, not sure. thinking, oh yeah, but without the whole like eye replacement stuff, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. The internet seems a bit like that at the moment now. It's like, well, and I think, um, and that's what Mozilla are really interested in 
finding out about is, um, and we did that with the last design festivals who had this um, uh, installation on the ground floor where people could come and um, respond to how they feel about their data, how their data is used. So it's kind of, again, it's a, just a, another step on from that. But they're really interested in, yeah, what is... Um, what is your phone listening to? Like Alexa, like, you know, what is, what is the information that Alexa is gathering um, from you? Um, we put a DVD on uh, last night and we use it through our PlayStation and, uh, and we can, it brought this thing up and it was like, you must check your privacy settings. So obviously there's a response to everything that's going on. So we couldn't get through the PlayStation without resetting our privacy settings. And that's when you realise that at some point you've clicked on a, yeah, I agree to these terms and conditions and it's all changed and everybody can, hear or see or do you know everything that you're that you're doing um and and i think it's so topical uh, and i think that's what the design festival can do really well is kind of open these conversations um, and by having it in reform street the hope is that um it becomes a bit more accessible as well that we we try and say to people and show people that actually they're um th- that design is for everybody um and and we want everyone to actually to be able to participate, um, but you can't expect folk just to rock up to where you are. Sometimes you have to go and place yourself where people are. Um, and although lots of folk would say there is no people on Reform Street, and that's part of its problem, um, actually there's a lot of people in Dundee City Centre, and um, and they've and I think you know what will be going on uh, over those few days will be really really interesting. Uh, and to be able to pull people off the street and um, and get feedback from folk on those topics that are so important to people just now um, is some of the stuff that the Design Festival can do really, really well. So, And it's, it's just, it's not going to be called Dundee Design Festival, it's Dundee Design Month. Right, so this is where it gets a wee bit confusing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yes, yeah, so that, um, that I've just told you all about on Reform Street, will be Dundee Design Festival. So it's okay. like Dundee Design Festival presents Factory Shop. Ah, okay. So it's like a project. So it's like Design, Fe- Design, Design Festival is presenting a project. Um, I, in the same way that like DJ CAD do their graduate show. Do you know what I mean? So kind of, you know, kind of like that. Um, but what ties all that together is Dundee Design Month. So um, you may remember we used to have a thing called Ignite. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ignite was this kind of mad festival of creativity um, that sort of brought together all the stuff that already happened um, during May. And the concept was really good, but um, the application of it maybe not quite right. So we've thought about that and we think actually, well, and, and it's all about design anyway. Do you know what I mean? Like our project's really about design, so it doesn't make sense to include other, a lot of other art forms. Um, and totally waffling about Dunsey Month now. So no, so we, and other cities have months of design. Um, and, and May, there's so much happening in May that we wanted to kind of make a marker that would say to people, like, if you come to Dundee and if you come in May, there will be something design-related happening that you can participate in. Uh, and so for us, the Dun- Dundee Design Month became quite um, uh, quite a sort of sensible way of delivering that. So what Dundee Design Month is, is Dundee Design Month is a, an initiative of UNESCO City of Design where we have brought together all the different design activity that's taking place during May and badged it into one brochure and into one website. Um, so that if you if you're so it's just that thing if you're looking for something design related click oh there's an event on tonight or tomorrow um, oh there's a yeah, it's a workshop and it's everything from like some of the jewelry designers have put in like their jewelry workshops that they run all the time and um, some people are doing special events um, that they're putting on especially for it um, we've got the 
graduate show at Aberté, the degree show at, at DJ CAD, um, Dundee Fashion Week as part of it, um, events at Dundee and Angus College, um, but also like kind of just um, stuff that like, so so people like the like the unicorn, so, so, so trying to kind of say to people, how can they kind of engage in design if design's not necessarily what you always do? Um, but the unicorn uh, is, an, is an amazing ship um, and it's like the sixth oldest ship still in water in the entire world or something um, and they have they've developed with one of their volunteers who's a professor of something um, I'm not really selling this um, but he's going to do a design-led tour in the unicorn so he's going to talk about the way that they cut the wood or the way they bound the I don't know, the joints or the, you know, how the door is like this because the water can, I, you know, it is all of that kind of stuff. Um, which to some people that who you know, might go, oh, well, that's not, I'm not interested in that. But for other people, that's a way that they can totally access design and start thinking about design and start thinking about the city as a design city as well. Um, and for the unicorn to kind of really get that um, and to get involved and to put on events um during design month that have that that link to design is I, I think it's really special and it does show why like it just shows how different cultural agencies are, are coming together um to kind of yeah to to raise that profile of design in Dundee and as a, as, as a design city so so yeah so Dundee Design Month is a, a collective of all of the stuff that's happening in May um and Dundee Design Festival uh, is still running as a project on its own um and Dundee Design Festival as we've as we've come to know it um, at Westward will return in 2019 with a large exhibition and large programme in a large venue and then Design Month will also return in 2019 as a collective of all the stuff that's happening in the city which will be extreme I think I think 2019 everyone keeps saying come to Dundee in 20, like 2018 it's a year to come no it's not like it's next year it's 2019 once everything's kind of open and we've kind of settled into the madness yeah. Uh, I think Nundi, the next year is going to be a kind of mad year. So, yeah. cool. Well, we're up to fifty-two minutes. Already. Well, that's so, that's pretty good. Yeah. So um, before we finish up, yeah. uh, one more thing I will need to talk about. I can't let you go without talking about the world's favourite colour. This is true. I don't know if I can talk about that. Only eight minutes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you ten. Okay. <laughs> uh, do you want to just hear the whole story from the beginning? Why not? Yeah. Right. So. Uh, G.F. Smith um, are a paper uh, maker uh, based in Hull. And as everybody knows, last year, 2017, was Hull's... uh, Hull was UK City of Culture. So as part of the UK City of Culture programme, G.F. Smith uh, came together and they decided to run this project, uh, which was to find the world's favourite colour. And they launched it early 2017 with a whole host of different designers and beautiful for, you know, photography, blah, blah. Uh, and all it was, um, was like an app on your phone. So you went on this website and it was like um, like a rainbow and you just kind of like ran your finger over your phone, uh, selected the colour, entered your name, um, the reason you picked it, email address, submit, done. Um, and uh, and then, yeah, and then I guess you forgot about it. So... So we, G.F. Smith, have been quite big supporters of Dundee Design Festival. So um, uh, Paul, who's the um, paper consultant, had kind of said to me, he's like, oh, you have to enter this competition. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. Um, and then it was April, end of April, uh, and I had just packed uh, my partner and a van off to Brighton 
Fringe Festival. So they were away for six weeks to do that down there. Um, and Jenny Patterson um, had said to me, oh, there's a spare seat on the pirate boat. Do you want to come for a spin on the day? Like, obviously. <laughs> Who says no to that? Uh, so literally, I was like, bye guys in the van. Threw on my clothes, went down to to Brighty Ferry, jumped on this boat, out in the speedboat, out in the Tay, just absolutely brilliant. Uh, sun was shining, um, yeah, really, really great experience. Got home, sat down with a cup of tea and I thought, oh, could you know what? I should really enter that competition. Uh, and I did. And then I forgot about it and we did Dundee Design Festival and all the kind of madness and I got this email at the end of, it would have been just, yeah, it would have been the end of May after the festival, going, um, hi, uh, could you phone this number, G.S. Smith? And I was like, oh, I was like, what's wrong? Something's <laughs> happened, some of these voices not being paid, something like that. So I was like, oh, hi. I was like, oh, it's Annie Mars. And they were like, oh, just hold on a minute. <laughs> That's weird. And she was like, oh, hi. Do you remember the end of this competition, blah, blah, blah? Well, you won. <laughs> I was like, what? Uh, so, yeah, so 30,000 entries from 100 different countries. Um, and they had a computer algorithm that worked out like the clusters so it could tell like only 20% people picked a yellow colour so yellow wasn't the winners or whatever and supposedly there was maybe 20 odd people who'd picked this particular shade of teal and then they just picked the name out of the hat but obviously Mars Green that's a great name <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so they clearly and that was the prize so the prize was to have the colour named after you um, to visit the paper mill um, and get two nights in a luxury hotel in the Lake District so, uh, so yeah, so that was it. And um, they they launched it at the beginning of June, end of June, and it uh, went down to Hull. And I got to press a big red button, and all this ticker tape came out, <laughs> <laughs> which was brilliant. Uh, and they did. Um, it was just mad. So I think like for them, for Hull, it was it was huge. Like it was absolutely massive. So they added, I know, like and for Gia Smith, they they added a product to their paper line, um, and. Uh, and yeah, there's just paper everywhere and kids everywhere and ticker tape and um, the the shop painted in Mars Green and my name on literally everything and um, like bags in Mars Green, shoelaces, um, pencils, t-shirts, uh, chairs, angle poise lamps. Um, so they did like a thing, a collaboration with British brands and Gia Smith to make things in the colour. Uh, and yeah, and then obviously social media just went mad. So I kind of, I went down to Hull, um, it was totally insane, got the train, I came back um, and then the Telegraph phoned me on the train. So I gave them all the chat and um, and I was like, oh, I was inspired by the blue and green tones of the River Tay from my trip out on the pirate boats. Um, PR gold. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, and then that's when they published that article that afternoon and it, ju- it just went mad. Like, you know, people, I was getting messages from folk from all over the world. Um, uh, somebody went up to my brother, um, and uh, so my brother works for Triumph Motorcycles. He is an actual designer. <laughs> That's his actual job. Um, and I went, oh, have you heard this is colour? Um, it's, it's got the same name as you. And he like looks at me and he's like, that's my sister. <laughs> uh, my dad said to me, um, I no longer need grandchildren because my name now lives on <laughs> in a colour. Uh, and yeah, and people people have painted their like houses in it. Um, you can go to B and Q. I've saved it on their system. <laughs> Color matched. Um, people ask me like, so so GF Smith won't. Um, they won't give out the Pantone and all that kind of stuff because it's obviously their product. But it doesn't stop other people matching it, uh, matching the color to uh, to use and things. Um, and you see it everywhere. Like everywhere you go, you're like, oh, my screen. Oh, here's my screen. Um, and it's just been fun. Do you know? It's just been like 
just been such such good fun um and a great thing for dundee and um and i think the best bit of it was uh, when i was in hull and the hull local paper said to me um now obviously we did beat you guys to the uk safe culture of 2017 and i was like well yes but i have chosen the world's favorite color <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so that was quite nice because like oh shut up y'all <laughs> <laughs> So presumably um, every room in your house is now going to be painted in this colour. Yes. So so it was already my favourite colour. Right. Um, so I already have like several handbags and um, uh, and coats and all sorts of things in that colour. But yes, I did redo um, what we affectionately call the tropical room, which is the, uh, the, the spare room. So any guests that come to stay, one wall is um, tropical wallpaper, like a jungle, and the other wall is... Marsh green um, and uh, a little bit indulgent I do have a framed piece of paper with the story on the wall as well <laughs> and when I move and we're about to move house um, so yes yeah, so, so, so again JD sort of calls it like tropical room like 2.0 so the flat was just a testing um, point and now we'll, we'll we'll redo it when we get there but yeah 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 everything is um yeah everything's more green you just slowly saturate your life in yeah the, totally in the yeah and we use it like in lo- like yeah there's quite a lot of stuff so we did like the sound on dcd made that more green um and i'm doing a, a little project which we're going to print on some paper so we keep using um gf smith's paper as well for stuff <laughs> obviously if i ever got married invites would have to be in uh in marsh green as well so yeah no it's good it's good fun it's just really good fun Cool. Well, um, if people want to come and find you, yep. um, I'll put all the details of all the projects and everything else that you've mentioned on the show notes. But yeah, for you in particular. Um, so for me in particular, I'm just, I'm on Twitter and Instagram, just at Annie Mars. Um, Mars is M-A-R-R-S. It's two R's on the Mars. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Thank you very much. No, thank you. So that was Annie. Uh, yeah, amazing journey. And, and to be honest, I don't even think we got through half the stuff she's up to. But um, one of the big things that's obviously happening is Dundee Design Month in the month of May. Um, so definitely check out dundeedesignmonth.com uh, for the full schedule of events and everything else that's happening, as well as that the, the shop on Reform Street that will house um, Dundee Designs festivals a part of the design month as well so it's definitely worth checking out i mean if you're not in dundee get yourself up here in the next month um and get involved in everything that's happening but that's it for the podcast this week um yeah if you don't already it's at ccc dundee on twitter and on instagram and yeah if you've got a podcasting platformy thing yeah hit the subscribe button that definitely helps and yeah i'll catch you next week goodbye